This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. New tonight, a threatening note and a white powder substance sent to the office of Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. This after multiple threats, including bomb threats, were made against the court. And just a day after Trump posted this since-deleted image that shows him appearing to take a bat to Bragg. And warning that if he is indicted over the hush money payment to Stormy Daniels, quote, potential death and destruction in such a false charge could be catastrophic for our country. Okay, so there's a lot happening while we wait for Trump to be indicted. He, of course, has continued to try and incite violence and literally terrorize those who are simply doing their job and upholding the law. In the words of House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, it's dangerous, and if he keeps it up, he's going to get someone killed. But Trump is always going to be Trump. He revels in the forces of fascism that gather to riot in his honor. And it's not just happening here in the United States. No, I think that Trump has helped to destabilize democracy around the world. The violence swept the streets of Paris like a tidal wave. Shrouded in a smokescreen of chaos, hundreds of thousands clashed with police. Their throats filled with tear gas as they fought to have their voices heard. France has continued to revolt against Macron's edict to raise the age of retirement from 62 to 64. And literally, millions of people are on the streets violently protesting. Macron said in an interview, Do you think I enjoy doing this reform? No, but the pension system was broken. And the longer we wait, the worse the situation will get. I don't envy Macron's position. He acknowledged that while citizens are asked to work harder, companies are making record profits. The Prime Minister has tried to negotiate with the unions, but they aren't budging. And, as of this report, Paris is burning. There are still millions on the streets in Israel, even as Bibi Netanyahu heads to London. Israel's parliament has passed a new law that limits the conditions under which a sitting prime minister can be removed from office, despite objections from opponents that its intent is to shield Benjamin Netanyahu from any fallout of his ongoing corruption trials. Protesters in both cities and around the world are accusing the prime minister and his hard-right government of stabbing democracy in the back by leading a judicial coup that could turn Israel into a dictatorship. Bibi wants to limit the Supreme Court's power to rule against the legislature and the executive branch of government. And the people aren't having it. In London, Friday protesters dog Netanyahu's motorcade, many dressed in red robes and bonnets inspired by The Handmaid's Tale. Netanyahu is on trial in Israel for corruption. So you see why this messing with the courts is such a big deal? And in India, Prime Minister Modi has gotten rid of his primary opposition. It's like what Putin did to his opposition, Alexei Navalny. Modi is doing to Rahul Gandhi. Now, a court in Western India has sentenced the opposition leader, Rahul Gandhi, to two years in prison in a criminal defamation case. Mr. Gandhi, from the Congress party, was convicted by the court in Gujarat state for comments he made about Prime Minister Narendra Modi's surname. Gandhi, the leader of India's Congress, was sentenced to jail for making negative remarks about Modi's extreme corruption, which pretty much everyone agrees is right out in the open. Gandhi's party is being targeted, I mean in part, because elections are next year. That is, if Modi doesn't call off the elections and just stay in power definitely. 
It's a wild world out there, folks, and this shit wouldn't be happening in India and Israel if they hadn't been emboldened by Trump to dismantle their democracies. What we do here matters, folks. Now, one bright spot on the world stage was President Biden's recent meeting with Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in Ottawa. Today, we welcome to our parliament the 46th President of the United States of America, President Joseph R. Biden, Jr. Mr. President, you are a true friend to Canada, and that matters more than ever in this consequential moment. Make no mistake, these are serious times. They talked about how Build Back Better will help produce clean technology, electric vehicles, and semiconductors that will benefit workers on both sides of the northern border. They also announced a major shift in how Canada and the United States handle asylum claims and the closing of the controversial border crossing. Also, both countries promised millions in aid to shore up Haiti before it completely implodes. Now, of course, China was a huge topic, as was TikTok. Biden countered last week's Russia-China matchup of evil with a Biden and Trudeau bright future bromance. During his speech, Biden said, and I quote, Our destinies are intertwined and they are inseparable. You will always be able to count on the United States of America. Now back at home, last Friday, federal judge Beryl Howell rejected Trump's bullshit claims of executive privilege and has ordered his former chief of staff Mark Meadows and the rest of Trump's merry band of fucking coup plotters to testify before a grand jury investigating January 6th and the effort to overturn the 2020 election. Jack Smith has subpoenaed Meadows to no avail. And while Trump will most likely appeal the ruling, Judge Howell has dealt a fucking blow to the Trump-adjacent jackasses who have been running from consequences since the day they left the White House. Will they charge Meadows and the gang if they refuse to testify? I mean, God, I certainly hope so. But by all accounts, it appears that Jack Smith just needs to nail down a few more details and then he'll be ready to prosecute. What they are looking to prove is that January 6th was no accident and that there was an actual conspiracy to breach the Capitol. All they need is a direct piece of evidence showing that Trump knew that if Pence didn't stop the certification, that the mob would attack. And maybe you'll recall a certain Trump tweet that summoned the mob weeks before the insurrection. And here I quote, be there will be wild. And the question is, are there any Trump officials that Jack Smith has not beaten in court and, you know, has not compelled to testify? Because this latest batch of names is unbelievable. Those ordered to testify before the grand jury, and in no particular order, are Mark Meadows, Ken Cuccinelli, Robert O'Brien, Dan Scavino, Nick Luna, John Ratcliffe, John McEntee, and Stephen Miller. Meadows is the big fish here because he was privy to everything and according to Cassidy Hutchinson, contributed to the coup plotting. But Stephen Miller, Trump's favorite shock and awe speechwriter, will also be fun to grill. We need to welcome more refugees. We need to welcome more asylum seekers or fraudulent asylum seekers. We need to welcome more illegals. 
more people from other countries. Do you have any idea how many people are living here today that are already from other countries? The former president worked with Miller on the 6th, and together they added some key information to that day's speech, including several lines about marching to the Capitol and about how Mike Pence better have the guts to send the votes back to the states or else. Miller knew exactly what Trump was trying to accomplish. So, where is Pence? The cowardly linchpin that could finish Trump off once and for all if he's just fucking talk. Maybe mother won't let him, but you know that arrogant prick still imagines that he's got a fucking shot at the presidency. Well, let me say this, my friends, he doesn't. But with his silence, he is still backing Trump. The new Republican line is any criminal accountability for the former president is a disgusting abuse of power. Now on the Mar-a-Lardo front, Jack Smith is building a compelling case that Trump played his lawyers. Evan Corcoran spent three hours answering Smith's questions last Friday. And we understand that thus far, Corcoran hasn't taken the fifth. So he's talking. But where Corcoran actually stands on the subject is still a question. Did he corroborate with the former president to hide documents and lie to the FBI? Or did he try and warn Trump that signing false documents and lying to the FBI was legal suicide? Did Trump lie to Corcoran? Odds are the special counsel isn't looking to prosecute Corcoran, but use him as a witness against Trump. Trump did the right thing in, in, in asserting the privilege and appealing the privilege, because if they can do this to him, they can do this to anyone. And no one will feel confident talking to their attorney in the future. Lisa Rubin from MSNBC had an interesting take saying, and I quote, if Trump had petitioned the Supreme Court to stay Corcoran's testimony and document production, the justices would have seen some, if not all, of what Judge Howell and the three-justice panel on the D.C. Circuit had already reviewed. Proof that Trump misled Corcoran and engaged in criminal conduct. Well, it's just downright unsportsmanlike when, when people that are in justice prosecute criminals. Uh, wow, what, what is wrong with the world the that something like that would happen? Trump is betting that because Pence and Biden both had stray classified documents in their possession, that he will never be prosecuted for his thousands of stolen documents. But I don't think Smith would be hammering Corcoran so hard if he was just going to drop the case. I mean, seriously, do you? Well, folks, it looks like old Donald Trump's day just went from bad to worse. Alvin Bragg was going to convene the, the grand jury today and they were supposed to take care of business, but they he didn't do it. He put it off till next week. Um, inside baseball is that he got a phone call from Jack Smith and Jack Smith told him, look, your case is going to interfere with processing my case. We're about to indict. Um, wait. Wait till we're done. We'll see. We'll see if that's exactly what happened, but yeah, I wouldn't want to be Donald Trump right now. Also, what we still don't know is what was in those documents. Were there all kinds of secrets that he could use to his advantage somehow? Something that I've talked about over and over and over again to basically use him as a get out of jail free card? Had he already traded some of those secrets? Well, guess what? More will be revealed, but the Mar-a-Lardo case isn't going away. And just for a quick comparison, Reality Winner spent four years in prison for removing one, that's right, 
one fucking classified document from a secured location. She was immediately charged and imprisoned. Arrest Trump now, and in so much as Trump has threatened Bragg and three other prosecutors, Trump has already proved he is an active mortal threat to all of them and to all of the lives of all witnesses involved. Trump cannot be granted bail. So every single day that Trump is in charge is a kick in the nuts to the rule of law? But the days of others paying for crimes that Trump has committed, but not being held accountable for, are quickly coming to an end. So Donald, as you're listening, tick, 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 boom, motherfucker, boom. Smart, don't start, kick the habit, put it out before it puts you out. These are all phrases that we've heard a thousand times, yet we still continue to have bad habits. I mean, for example, I scratch my hands. I don't know why I do it, but I do. And sometimes I scratch them so much that my knuckles turn red. Our sponsor, Fume, is on a mission to accelerate humanity's breakup from the bad habits that consume far too many of us. Fume is a natural diffusive device that uses plants and behavioral science to help you trade out your negative habit for a positive one. Now it's important to note that Fume is not a vape. It is a non-electronic device designed to transform your negative habits. So instead of pods that are filled with potentially harmful chemicals like a vape, Fume uses cores infused with plants like peppermint and cinnamon for delicious natural flavors. And Fume's new version 2 model is really snappy and tactile. With an adjustable airflow dial and a magnetic end cap, your fingers will always have something to do. I mean, it tastes great, it looks great, it feels great. And I mean, I, I didn't expect much out of Fume when I first got it, but the minty sensation is really powerful and it really hits the back of your throat. So remember folks, the easiest way to stop a bad habit is to switch to a positive one. And Fume is designed perfectly to do just that. It's Fume's goal to make switching easy and even enjoyable. They have thousands of five-star reviews from people just like you and from me who've successfully switched when other solutions just didn't work. So I want you to head right now over and tryfume.com and use mea culpa to save 10% off when you get the journey pack today. The journey pack comes with three unique flavors and the new version 2 fume to help kickstart your positive habits. That's tryfume, T-R-Y, FUM.com and use code MAYACOPA to save an additional 10% off your order today. That's 10% off today when you try FUM.com. That's T R Y F U M.com and use code MAYACOPA to save an additional 10% off your order today. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to the show one of our favorite people from the Lincoln Project, Tara Setmayer. Setmayer is a former CNN political commentator, a contributor to ABC News, and a former GOP communications director on Capitol Hill. She's appeared on ABC's The View, ABC's Good Morning America, and HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher. 
Sedmeyer was also named a Harvard Institute resident fellow. And in 2020, she joined the Lincoln Project as a senior advisor. Sedmeyer hosts a great live show called The Breakdown alongside Rick Wilson. You can find it on Lincoln Project streaming channel, LPTV. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so welcome back, Tara. Now, just for fun, all right, let's just make some predictions. It's obvious that, you know, Trump is involved in a multitude of legal battles. And we also have to presume that the Manhattan District Attorney's Office will be the first to indict. But just making predictions, because Trump, as I said, is entangled in a whole slew of litigation. Which, which one comes next? And from what you know, which do you think is the best case against him? The one that's most likely to land him in jail? Well, um, thank you for having me back, Michael. Uh, what a week, my friend. Uh, glad to be with you. Glad, glad this to is still be just, standing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I just can't imagine. It's, um, it, it's not easy to stand uh, for the truth, regardless of the blowback. And, um, you know, I know it's not easy. So, uh, you know, prayers to you and your family for this, because it's just, it's just, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. And, I look at this whole thing and uh, I'm not convinced that the Manhattan DA case goes goes first. Given some of the delays that we've seen this week, it could just be procedural. Um, Trump's timeline was completely artificial. It was made up. And so uh, are they feeling pressure now to have to get away from that timeline because he put it out there? Uh, I personally think he put it out there as a PR move so that the entire world would watch his Waco rally on Saturday. Because for the most part, people don't care about Trump rallies anymore. But all eyes will be on that now because of of his um, insane tweeting about the the possible arrest and this and that. And I'm not so convinced because I I think we're seeing some uh, ramping up of the special counsel case, the uh, Jack Smith case. Who, by the way, I'm a huge Ted Lasso fan. I don't know if I'm sure people listening are as well. I have my little be a goldfish shirt on today because Ted Lasso's started the seasons back up again. But I think that uh, Jack Smith looks like Coach Beard. Hmm. With the beard and the whole thing, he looks like Beard every time I see him. But anyway, um, but I, he's also like no nonsense. He's a tough dude. And um, it seems to me, based on some of the rulings this week against uh, Trump and trying to you know stop his, his lawyer, Evan uh, Corcoran, from testifying and uh, the attorney-client privilege stuff, but that did not go in Trump's favor, tells me that the, that the special counsel DOJ cases are moving along. And in my opinion, I I want to see those come first just because I feel like they the American people can look at that and see that Trump's role in these things are concrete. It's easy to understand. They're more recent. Um but if the DA case comes first, uh, listen, if he broke the law, nail the bastard. I mean, I don't care which one comes first at that point. He needs to be held accountable for something for fuck's sake. It's been Decades, you know. So isn't that what um, so, isn't that what I'm not been, as convinced. But isn't that what I've been first. saying now, literally since the first time that I launched this Maya Culpa podcast, since the first time that I put out my book Disloyal, since the first time that I then put out Revenge. I mean, there are four major investigations pending against Donald Trump right yep. now. One right, you have relating to the White House documents that were stolen, right? The election, the Georgia case, the insurrection. Right. January 6th. And of course, this district attorney of New York case um, dealing with finances and so on. 
The thing that bothers me the most, all right, let's not also forget, you also have the, you know, E. Jean Carroll case, which is still going on. And that's like a weird one because I don't really know. Something happened in that case and I can't figure out what it was. I know that they were supposed to go to trial, uh, but then it's been delayed. We'll, We'll get to that. But I'm with you on this. I don't personally give a shit which one goes first. It's all, and I right. said this when I, when I was leaving the district attorney's office, this is not about revenge. And, you know, then of course, you know, Fox News and a whole bunch of the Trump acolytes decided they had to attack me on it. Oh, now he's changing his, his tune. I've always of said, course, I have always said consistently, and especially the nice part, it's recorded on this show, when I said, I don't want to see anyone not even Donald Trump, indicted, prosecuted, convicted, incarcerated, simply because I fundamentally disagree with virtually everything that they say. I want to see them indicted, prosecuted, right, convicted and incarcerated because they committed a crime. Now, I'm not going to go into my whole DA case. Everybody, I'm sure, has been reading about it, front page New York Times, all that horse shit. But at the end of the day, I went to jail because of Donald Trump's hush money payments. And I have been consistent in my statement when I say I never committed tax evasion. I never committed misrepresentation to a bank. And with Jeffrey Berman in his own book acknowledging the pressure that was being put on, they wanted to whitewash everything that was Donald Trump dirty and create these fake bullshit cases against me. And the only way they got away with it, they went after my Achilles heel, which is my family. They were going to indict my wife because we're, you know, we file jointly on our tax returns. The crazy thing about this, Michael, is that everything that they're accusing you of, what they're accusing the Manhattan DA of now, is what happened under Trump. It was Trump who weaponized the Department of Justice. It was Trump who went after you in a political prosecution. It was Trump and his and his minions that committed all of these unsavory, unethical legal acts. And yet it's the, you know, Jim Jordan and the rest of those clowns on the uh, uh, on the uh, House committees that are asking to investigate Alvin Bragg and see if there's any, uh, you know, interference and this is politically motivated and Kevin McCarthy and his bitch ass coming, you know, dropping to his knees as he always does to to uh, placate Trump, making all of these outrageous statements that do not apply this time around. Like the wheels of justice are actually moving along uh, in, a, in the institution of of the law enforcement system and, and, and criminal justice system. It's moving along the way it's supposed to. Grand jury. They assess. You have a DA who has discretion. Same thing in the federal cases. All of those things. It's, these are the institutions of our criminal justice system. But yet they want Congress to overstep and try to find something that a, that a Manhattan, the technically New York state, right? State, not federal. Do, they're overstepping. The feds are overstepping to try to come in and interfere with a state prosecution. Republicans, when I was a Republican and all the years I spent on Capitol Hill and Republicans screaming about government overreach, the government being too big, the federal government is interfering in state and local business and they shouldn't. I mean, that's one of the tenets of the Republican Party is that, you know, state and local, 10th Amendment, you know, separation of powers, all that. These guys don't give a shit because they're hypocrites and they're doing it all in service of placating Trump and MAGA. It's insane. And, you know, I wish more people would call them out for what they're doing. 
because all of these things that they're trying to do, a lot of the political media reporters are treating it again, and this frustrates me to no end. They're treating it as if this is normal political business. It's not. This is not oversight. This is weaponization. This is what authoritarian governments do. They interfere in the different institutions. And then there's this indoctrination with Fox and the right-wing ecosystem of millions of people into believing that this is okay. All of a sudden now, constitutional order, the rule of law, our criminal justice system, none of that is, is, uh, there's no faith in that anymore because their guy now in their minds is being persecuted. It's insane and very dangerous. I worry about this. Well, you have every right to worry about it. And then on top of that, when I first heard, and I've talked about this, and I hate to repeat it because, you know, we have such a loyal base on mea culpa, but I'm going to repeat it anyway. When I first heard that Jim Jordan wanted to create this weaponization, so this subcommittee on government weaponization, I was actually like, okay, okay, this is actually good. <laughs> the, I mean, this is good. Now, Did you forget who Jim Jordan uh, was? <laughs> the, the answer to that is sadly, yes, I must have, because I was yeah, hopeful yeah. that the ultimate goal is to put America and your constituents first before Donald Trump. And that's not what's happening here. When you see somebody like, you know, Jamie, uh, Jamie Raskin get up there and excoriate Jim Jordan. I mean, he just... He's one he of the best. He, he is. And as I always say in every single show, you know, God bless him and Speedy, you know, recovery. Um, then on yes. top of that, you had Congressman Steve Cohen, no relation, from Tennessee, who's on the committee, who got up there... And did the same exact thing. And he said, whoa, slow the fuck down, amigo, because that's not right. All right. You do not mm -hmm. get, even as the ranking member, you do not get to make a determination when weaponization started. Because it didn't start on the day of Joe Biden's inauguration. What about the administration prior to? And of course, they reference what they did to me, which is the unconstitutional remand, not to mention all of the drip, mm -hmm. drip, drip of information that we're trying to get regarding my incarceration in the first place by the Southern District of New York. And then you're the starkest example. Uh, you're the starkest example of, of that weaponization of it. You know, I mean, it's 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 they don't want to talk no. about that because then it, it opens up a can of then, worms into all the other shit sure. that was going on during the Trump administration. Sure, it's all Good it's God. all about protecting themselves. And then on top of that, somebody who I didn't expect, you know, to do it, freshman Congressman Dan Goldman. He gets up mm. and he turns around and without, of course, using my name, he uses the example, but he goes ahead and he puts it in Jim Jordan, dismisses it as if my life, my rights don't matter because I am, in his mind, the ultimate Trump critic. And I'm not trying to be the ultimate Trump critic. I am not. I swear to you, I am not. I am trying to speak truth to power. I'm trying to ensure that our constitution remains intact, that we don't end up as an authoritarian government, because I, like I predicted, that there will not be a peaceful transfer of power. I will also predict that if Donald Trump somehow manages to get that ass back into the White House, he's never leaving, except in a, except yeah. in a casket. And then he'll figure out how to transfer to one of his kids.
I mean, this is really not a joke. This is Amer the America that we know, that we grew up with, is not going to be the America that our grandkids, great-grandkids, and so on, future generations are going to know. And if people want to dislike me or they want to say nasty shit, and again, the fucking emails and the, the phone calls and the recordings and all of the nasty shit that's left on social media platforms, you know, against me, you know... I want to bring up one more thing. Then on top of that, and, and Merrick Garland has a lot to do with, as far as I'm concerned, why our democracy is beginning to fall. Not that he's not a decent person, not that he's not trying to do job. He's done nothing so far. And I know that they appointed, for example, Damian Williams as the new head of the Southern District of New York, who took, uh, who took after Jeffrey Berman. And then he creates mm -hmm. this... Um, Conviction Integrity Committee, which is designed to go ahead and then to do what? To check on cases where convictions were coerced, that there was undue pressure that was placed on them, and so on and so forth. So what do I do? The first thing I do is I, I, I join. I file a letter with all of the attachments and all of the documents to Damian Williams at this committee asking for my case at the Southern District of New York where I'm not shy about it. I have a whole book, Revenge, about it um, that mm -hmm. talks about this, this weaponization of the Justice Department against a Donald Trump critic. Open up that file, take a look at it, and actually hold prosecutors that are responsible under you to accountability as well. And then do the right thing and get rid of the bullshit charges like the fucking fake tax evasion cases, like the, the misrepresentation on my HELOC, all right? Get rid of them and let's really just deal with what's there, which is merely the one count, which is the hush money payment that I made to Stormy Daniels at the direction of in coordination with and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. Individual I, so one, I, I, right? Individual would you believe one. I get a letter? This morning, this very morning, stating that they're not going to look into it, that they, that they don't think that it falls within the parameter of what the committee is designed to do. Really, Damien? For real, my friend? I mean, yeah. if this case, yeah. isn't, if this know, case isn't worthy of that committee, I'm not sure what is. You know, sometimes people just don't have the political will to take on the tougher cases. And for them, they probably, I'm, I, I don't know. It's the first I'm hearing of this. I'm just speculating based on my years in politics and <laughs> watching how people make decisions on what they focus on and what they don't. A lot of times, particularly with a unit like that, it's, um, it's a way to score political points with a certain constituency kind of like a blue ribbon commission it used to be like, oh, we'll, we'll, instead of solving the problem, we'll make it look like we're working mm -hmm. on it. So we'll, we'll, we'll form a commission, right. you know? Um, and that's what they're doing here. Not real. They don't really necessarily want to take on the tougher cases. They want, they want to be able to have something that they can point to. That's probably low hanging fruit and say, see, we're, ca we're concentrating on public corruption and, you know, intimidation in the criminal justice system. We're doing something about it. So I, I think that's unfortunate, but um, you know the what's happening now, and and my husband and I actually had a conversation about this this morning because of um, everything that's happening, you know, so quickly with these Trump cases, 
And my husband turned to me and he goes, yeah, where's the lock it up chance for him? And I said, you know what? <laughs> I have mixed feelings about that. Like, I, I understand, like, I want to see Donald Trump behind bars as, as much as the next person because he is a professional scofflaw degenerate who has no respect for our country, our laws. And Trumpism is completely incongruent with a constitutional republic and democracy that we have here in, in America, clearly. And, um, you know, if he's done the crime, do the time, in my opinion. And I don't give a shit if it's unprecedented and it's never happened before. Stop affording this guy preferential treatment just because he was a former president. He's a fucking treacherous bastard criminal who incited an in a violent insurrection against our government. The most fundamental aspect of our democracy is a peaceful transition of power. And this guy pierce the heart of that the, for the first time in American history. That should mean something to Americans. And we shouldn't be so desensitized to the gravity of that. But the Republicans have worked overtime to try to convince people it didn't happen, doesn't matter, tourists, it's ridiculous. So I said to my husband, you know, I don't want the lock him up chance on the other side too, because it feels very third world banana republic to me. Because people then just, it's all about just locking somebody up, to your point earlier, because you disagree with them or you have a political disagreement. Even though in the case of Trump, there is criminality here, but we also have a system of justice that we have to respond to. We cannot just constantly operate out of political retribution because then we become no different than the countries that we criticize for being banana republics. And so, like, I'm, I get it. Like, I believe me, I'd be the first one to lock his motherfucking ass up, right? But then I also look at it like, yeah, but I don't really want to, I don't want to support that because that, I don't want that to be the knee-jerk reaction now of Americans every time there's a politician they don't like or they do something that they don't like. If it doesn't fall, you know, if it's not criminal, it, all of a sudden now everything becomes criminal. I don't know. I think we have to be, we have to, we just have to think about how we react yeah, how to many times We want to keep our democracy. Sure, but how many times have you heard me turn around and say, we actually do have two systems of government with two systems of laws. Well, that's true. Right? Um, that's what, not, that's what, not, What yeah, you untrue. and I and my listeners and Jane and Joe Doe, average American, if this was us, we'd be in jail right now. Yeah, we'd be but then the there's jail. those in power. I don't care if it's the Matt Gaetzes of the world. I don't care if it's the Jim Jordans of the world. I don't care if it's the Donald J. Trumps of the world. It makes no difference to me. Everyone is supposed to, ha it's, we're all supposed to be judged under the same rules of law. And if I can go to jail, or I should say prison, if I should go to prison for a specific crime that was directed by, in coordination with, and right for the benefit of another individual, I don't understand why people are refusing to acknowledge that there's supposed to be one system of law which is why Lady Justice wears a blindfold. I don't care if you're black. Right. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're brown. I don't care yeah. if you're blonde, brunette, redhead. I don't care if you're male, female, tall, <laughs> short, thin, heavy. It makes no difference to me. It's one set of laws for all of us. And that's what Donald Trump is proving, that it's not. But my real question to you here is, True. do you think that a Trump indictment will simply just raise his status with voters and then ultimately help him to win the nomination and possibly the election, which so many people are saying now on the far right side? Or do you think that voters will just fucking ditch him already because of all of this baggage? So let me tell you something. Um, 
one last point on that other other part of the conversation. If Barack Obama had done a fraction of the things Donald Trump has done, he'd be like under the jail on a barge off of Gitmo. Okay, like they would never have put up with this, and it's it's just the the double standard is infuriating to the nth degree. It, it, or any Democrat, frankly, but particularly Barack Obama because he was black. Um, now this. <laughs> This is something, will this help Donald Trump? I've got to tell you, you know, at the Lincoln Project, we have been saying this for a year. And, you know, oftentimes we have an opp- we have opportunities to speak in front of Democratic donors and audiences about kind of our strategy and what we're doing and why and what works. And, and not that long ago, both my partner in crime, uh, Rick Wilson, and I were speaking in front of a bunch of Democrats who thought for sure, oh, this was about, a, uh, about six weeks ago. Oh, you know, once Donald Trump gets indicted, that's it. You know, we're not going to have to worry about him anymore. Republicans are finally going to say enough. And we said, have you not been paying attention? Have you not been paying attention? This guy can win the nomination from freaking jail. Okay, it is baked into the cake. Not only is it baked into the cake, he has spent the last seven years laying the predicate of victimization that he is victimized by the deep state, by the government, by the elites, by George Soros, by your, you know, your your grandmothers, whatever. I mean, like he has laid the predicate for this victimization. He's persecuted by the government thing to try to inoculate him from any accountability ever from all the shit that he does. And so he has convinced millions of people of this with the aid of Fox News, who's in big shit trouble now for part of their role in the whole Dominion stolen election bullshit and um, but, you know, this is going to help him. I don't care what anybody says. If you don't believe me, check out the recent morning consult polling that just came out this week that showed from January to now Donald Trump's approval rating. It has gone up and the gap between him and Ron DeSantis has widened. And it's not just morning consult. Other polls have shown the same. So. As much as people would like and in, in a normal like Earth one in a normal world being under uh, indictment or even just a hint about of four, being under, under indictment four potential normally, indictments. Right. And and right. A, and, a, and, a, and a potential one, and a rape case. <laughs> right. Like this would be political poison. Look at what I mean, just look in, in in the past of others who have just the hint of it, they've resigned and said, you know, look I, at Al okay. Franken. But no, not Donald Trump. Look at Al I Franken. know. My husband and I were just talking about this the I other mean, day too. It's insane. I mean, I I it's it's yeah, insane. He, he loses he his took- Senate seat for a photograph from you know, years and years ago when he on a you know, it was a a joking photograph for God's sakes, and he loses his Senate seat over that. Meanwhile, look at what Donald Trump is doing. Yeah. So I think it he does get he this will help him get the nomination. I listen to a lot of talk radio and uh, I was listening to um, Sirius XM two days ago and a guy called in and said, listen, I was a Trump supporter. I voted for him twice and I was leaning toward voting for Ron DeSantis if he gets in the race this time around. Right. There's a lot of those yep. people who are out there. They're like, yeah, Trump did his thing, but it's DeSantis. And I have a whole I'm you know, a thing about that if you want to talk about it later about DeSantis. But we will. Um, and then he said, good. And then he said, but you know what? If they indict Donald Trump, not only will I vote for him, I'll go out there and campaign for him to make sure he gets back in office because this is constantly, they have constantly tried to get out, go after him. It's politically motivated and we're not going to let them get Donald Trump. 
So this guy had the complete opposite reaction to what any normal person would think. Like, yeah, maybe this guy's not qualified anymore. You know, like enough of him. No, he said not only would he vote for him, he'd go out and campaign for him. Holy shit. I said to myself, I was like, people have no idea how prevalent this attitude actually is. It will make them rally behind him. Why? Because he has framed this as when they come for me, they come for you. When they go after me, when they criticize me, they're really going after you. And that works. It has worked on millions of people. Thus, the cult. Yep, thus, the cult. What do you think that the current temperature of the Republican Party is? I'm not talking about the constituents, but the Republican Party, right? Because you don't really see any of these, other than, of course, the handful of the acolytes coming out to protest against, you know, the former president's possible indictments, you know, in any significant number, right? You you really are not seeing that. Nevertheless, as we just said, he's still ahead in the polls. Do you think that the Republicans in Congress or as part of the system are still infatuated and love Trump the way they did before? Or are they willing to walk away? Well, I think those are two different questions. Are they infatuated in love with him like they were before? Uh, Definitely not. I mean, there's always a handful of them. But even those, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and the rest of them, it feels very performative because they're using Trump and Trumpism as a springboard to amplify their own power and uh, influence. I, I think that, I mean, I talked to some of my Republican friends and some of them who still work on the Hill. And there really is no appetite to go to bat for Donald Trump uh, the way that they did when he was president because they they want him to go away. But they're too chicken shit to do what it takes to make him go away. They could have off ramped from him umpteen times by now with plenty of explanation, uh, justification for why they've had enough. January 6th was the perfect off-ramp. And what did they do? They got right back on and put their foot on the gas and kept going because they're scared to death of losing a primary. It's just that frustrating. And so are they out there the same way before? No. But the tepid response to what's going on tells you that they're still scared to death of the MAGA base because they're loud, they're organized, and they vote. (laughs) <laughs> and so they think that Ron DeSantis is going to be their savior and that they're going to have an op, you know, an off ramp. Because you notice there's a couple of Freedom Caucus members who have been championing Ron DeSantis lately. And uh, I thought that was interesting. Chip Roy and and some others who are kind of like, yeah, you know, DeSantis, you have this new DeSantis pack that um, that's being formed that has some former Trump pro Trump people now on, you know, Team DeSantis. Ken Cuccinelli and some others. Yeah, it's it's interesting, but it's it's like a slow moving kind of like if some do it, then maybe others will feel that they have some cover and they'll do it. But there's still the fact that you still don't have a group of Republicans who are vocal coming out and saying we need to respect our rule of law. We need to respect our, our system and at least t- take that, like defend our system. No, they're doing the opposite. You have Republican leadership, like we said, Kevin McCarthy and that other one that's Elise Stefanik, who is a disgrace, um, coming out and, and going straight to the, it's political, we're going to investigate the investigators, blah, 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 blah. So I think in the, if, in the quiet corners of 
the Hill and the Capitol Hill Club and the other places where Republicans hang out, they, you know, they're like, God, we can this guy go away. We're enough. He's killing us here. He's killing us. But they'll never say that in public until they think they have enough political cover to do it, which is just so craven and cowardice. And that's how we got in this place, in the, you know, to this place to begin with. So, look, I understand when Trump starts his racial tropes and his battle cries that they're going to take. It's all uh, about loss of white privilege and so on. I understand yeah, those. Replacement. I understand those people who feel the same way attaching themselves to Trump. I get it, right? Um, I don't like it. Yeah, it's the grievance of constituency, I, I don't, right? I don't like I it, <laughs> but, I, but I, I understand it and I acknowledge yeah, it. Yeah, it makes it sense. Does. Right, what doesn't right. make sense to me is women. I don't understand it. And who better to speak to? Terror? people of color. Let, we, we didn't get there yet. Let me just <laughs> deal with, with women as a whole. Because after all of the allegations of, you know, Donald Trump being a sexual predator, and I'm not talking about only the case of, you know, um, E. Jean Carroll, where, you know, she says that he raped her at Bergdorf's and so on. There have been many other women that have come forward and made allegations against them, against him. But yet so many women still embrace him, even if you're part of that group of the affected white class. I just don't get it. I mean, even after the whole grab him by the pussy message with Billy Bush and so on, women, for some unknown fucking reason, still hang in there. All right. Why do you, what, what's this about? I mean, what does the guy have to do for, he's now destroyed Roe v. Wade. Okay, maybe you're one of those disenchanted whites that want your privilege, who are Bible, Southern white Christian coalition that don't believe in abortion. That's a small group. And there's a larger group of women that are still hanging in there for the guy. And I don't get it. What's your opinion? What's it about? Yeah, this is a, a complicated question because... You know, women are not a monolith, just like any group. They're not a monolith. But I, the ones that, I mean, I, I'm with you on that. I, I can't, I don't get it, especially after the Access Hollywood thing. I mean, the this, this stuff before that, there was always that, there's always a, a group of women who seem to be, to seem to gravitate toward obnoxious, chauvinistic men. Um, usually those are insecure women who feel like, um, you know, maybe their dads were obnoxious pricks and so that's all they knew and they liked it. And so they are attracted to that. I don't know. It's like, I question the decisions of, of some of my female friends and the people they married. Like what, why are you attracted to that? They treat you like dirt and have no respect for you. But yet, I don't know. I don't get, I don't get that. I think there's a certain psychology that goes along with the women who choose or, or are attracted to men like Donald Trump because there were plenty and it's, you know, the money, the, the gravitas of being, uh, you know, in the public eye, even if it's a spectacle, I don't know. I, I'm, that's not me. And there are plenty of women who are repulsed by Donald Trump. Thank God. Um, those women obviously were, they drove the polls in 2018, 2020 and 2022, um, to beat back the uh, Trumpism and to defeat Trump in 2022. But to your point, yeah, there are way too many women who make excuses. And I have often said, 
that Kellyanne Conway's decision, despicable decision, to not only work for him, but to stay alongside him in solidarity after that Access Hollywood tape came out is the predominant reason why Donald Trump was able to survive that. That should have been the killer blow for him. Should have been. And you saw some Republicans starting to come out immediately because it was so horrific and no one had ever seen anything like this. And they thought for sure that was it. They were going to lose the female vote, women's women's vote. And we can't condone this, this freaking guy, right? But when Kellyanne Conway, who was supposed to represent the uh, Republican woman, right? She had the the polling company, which was a women's focused polling company. So she was the guru in Republican politics on women voters. She decided to, for... Uh, obviously for her own political power and relevance to stick by Trump. That gave a permission structure for the rest of the party to fall in line. If she had come out and said, I'm done, I'm the mother of, of girls. I cannot be a hypocrite. I would never want any of my daughters to be, you know, look up to someone like this or be married to someone like this. This is not acceptable for them, for me or for this country. If she had done that, I think Trump would have been finished in 2016, but she didn't. Why? Well, she gave a permission structure to a lot of other women, millions of women who might have felt eh, about Republican women anyway, about Donald Trump. Like, well, if Kellyanne Conway, who's a mom and she comes across as relatable, she's got kids and she was able to get past it. So I guess I can yeah, too, but, because he's going to give us yeah, whatever. Yeah. And I think that that's crazy. But, you know, we can People, rationalize terror. We can rationalize anything right i mean because kelly well, asked me why right. women rationalize supporting trump right. so that's I, that's my theory i think you know if that specific example of her in 2016 doing that she was emblematic of a lot of women who would have i think and you know the republican power structure too. the establishment would have walked away from him if she hadn't because they looked to her as someone who represented that cohort well she wasn't alone because how many women you know the majority of white women Voted for Trump. Why? Because their husbands did or because they thought that they, he was going, going to be tough and defend them, maybe some kind of weird, uh, perverted ideal idea of what masculine leaders are. I don't know. I don't get I don't get it. But I think there's probably a whole cottage industry of psychiatrists who <laughs> who, who could probably better analyze it. And than me. on top of that, let's expand it out. Black women, brown women, Hispanic women, right? Cuban women, uh, I mean, Muslim women, there are a group in each and every one of that, um, those sectors that are all pro-Trump. Do these people not understand that he looks at them not even as second-class citizens? You know, as we used right. to say in my fraternity, right? You know, um, lower than you know, lower than whale shit at the bottom of the ocean. That's what he sees all of these people as, and, and yeah. it's. And I, I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm being serious about this. He doesn't even see them as being human beings, and yet. Somehow well, he's managed right, to attract. And yeah, else. he's managed to become attractive to them, where they're sticking up for him and they're voting. For him. Hey, this is not right, right? I mean, you have this black Republican, um, congr- you know, Congress members, women who are out there fighting on Trump's behalf. I mean, what the hell am I missing? So with that, I think it's less minority women who are gravitating. I mean, there's always going to be there's always going to be that small group within a certain 
constituency that is, um, you know, you can't explain why they're attracted to it. There's cognitive dissonance is a hell of a drug. But for black men, which I think is where Trump is gaining um, more support, because black women are still 95 percent reliable Democratic voters. And the Hispanic Latino women situation is a little bit different because, you know, with Cubans, it's uh, the Castro anti-communism socialism thing. It's a it's a different um, political ideology that they subscribe to versus, you know, Central American Hispanics and what what motivates them to vote. That's a, it's a different dynamic. But for black men, I think that there is a certain aspect of misogyny that goes into the support for Donald Trump. I think there is a uh, a long history within the black community, unfortunately, of black men being resentful of black women who are they think are are emasculating them for whatever reasons. And that's a much more complex uh, conversation. But there is an element of that within black culture that I think that some disillusioned black men feel empowered by the grievance and victimization that Donald Trump puts out there. And he and they think that he speaks for them that supersedes race, supersedes their own uh, self-interests. And, um, and they feel also there's an element that within the at least the black community and some Democratic constituencies that the Democrats have taken them for granted. And, you know, there is some some truth to that in some areas enough to for you to gravitate to Trump. I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> there is no excuse for that, in my opinion. But that is an element that is that is out there in the political zeitgeist within minority communities. And that's a Democratic problem. They need to get it together. And make sure that they stop, you know, losing because percentages, you know, any any percentage can swing yeah. an election. Yeah. The last couple of elections were way too close. You know, it was like football's a game of inches. Well, you know, elections are a game of small numbers. Yeah. And so that's a that's a that the Democrats need to figure that out. Yeah. So let me ask you this then. What do you think? And give me a prediction on what's going to happen to Fox News. I mean, their audience, <laughs> right? Their audience is in a bubble now. But when they found out, right, uh, when they find out, I mean, won't Republican viewers resent being lied to? And that's exactly what they're going to find out. And being made fools of, they're going to find that out as well. Even Tucker Carlson said about Bill O'Reilly that once he's unmasked, that the jig is up. You think that Carlson believes that about his own career? I mean, what? I just, I, another thing, I'm just at a loss for words, why anybody would tune into Fox News after the information that's been released. Well, I mean, again, cognitive dissonance is a hell of a drug. And so is confirmation bias, right? It's it's almost like a domestic abusive situation. Why would anyone stay in a violent domestic domestic abuse situation? They keep going back despite getting hurt. Why? Right. I feel like that's the relationship that Fox News and Trump, frankly, has with their followers, viewers, voters. Um, They can't quit them because there's a they get us they get something from it. And what it is, whatever that dopamine rush that they get from being surrounded by people of like mind in their minds, uh, obviously it overtakes logic. 
And the coming to terms with the fact that you've been lied to or misled all these years, most people do not want to be self-reflective enough to realize that they've been duped. They'd rather stay in the lie. They'd rather stay in the shit than step out and go, holy shit, this is this has been all a lie because then it makes them feel stupid. Now, are there some? It's like a cult. Again, it goes back to the cult mentality. When you, ha- what does it take for people to finally break away from the cult? Usually, it's something that personally impacts them in a way where they go, "Wait, hold on a second. Wait, this is this this can't be right." I mean, you look at some of these cults, and they let they let them screw their kids and their wives, and you know, look at the, the we have the Waco. Um, Anniversary coming up, Trump choosing to go to Waco on the 30-year anniversary of that dis- disaster. Um, and you look at what happened there with David Koresh. Like, how do people follow these people? It's the same mentality. It's a cult mentality. And a lot of times people would rather just stay in it <sighs> than self-reflect and correct. Yes. I, I don't but, understand it, but it's, but the, um, but look, you know, a lot of people do that. It's easier for right, them. Koresh, there was what? 30 people, 50 people, even 100 weak-minded people. We're talking about 70 million people here that find it. So look at Scientology. I mean, there's lots of them, right? Scientology and some of these other, you know, huge cults that the Moonies and uh, there's still more Trump. There's still more more Trump supporters (laughs) than there are Scientologists, Moonies and so on, which is crazy. Now. Look, going back. Well, he he figured out how to scale it up. Yeah, that's for sure. So, look, I think DeSantis, <laughs> since we were going to talk about him, I don't think he's a match for Trump at all. Especially, I mean, you no. know, his racism now—it's out front and center. <laughs> and I can't believe that voters want anything to do with him at all. I mean, is it is it frightening for people of color to have a governor of a major state? Florida trying to rewrite black history and persecute people that he deems as woke. He doesn't even know what the fucking word really means as far as I'm concerned. But does anyone Well, not really. I mean it's it's a it's a cor- it's a right. course, right? But I'm reminded yeah. that DeSantis just narrowly beat Andrew Gillum back in 2016. I just don't understand why people 18. in 2018, right? I don't understand why people are sticking behind this guy. So, you know, just like Fox News, right, which I think is going to lose their Dominion case. I mean, it's it's I can't believe they allowed it to go this far anyway and and allowed discovery, knowing that all of this stuff was out there. It's just crazy. But they haven't lost advertisers or viewers. So goes to show you Um, this thing with with DeSantis. Ron DeSantis was a C-list congressman. Mm -hmm. He was in Congress when I worked on the Hill, and and he was always an awkward, arrogant kind of guy. No one, I mean, he wasn't exactly uh, the popular guy in the cafeteria where everybody would go and have you know lunch with him. He was just never that guy. And to see what this 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 monster that he's turned into that he you know he's, he's you know thinks that he's some swinging dick now that he's got all the juice right because he beat he won in Florida overwhelmingly the second time around. Donald Trump made this guy. That's, I mean, that's mm-hmm. one thing that t- Trump is right He's about. Right. He absolutely made this guy, and he he plucked him out of obscurity, um, and created and created him like he did Mike Pence. And now you, th- correct, correct. Pence was another one, and so you know to watch Ron DeSantis now engaging in this culture warrior bullshit. And that wife of his, who is really the she is the architect behind all of this PR. Um, 
push for for DeSantis and this imagery of him being this tough guy and like using the Top Gun themes and all this other bullshit. That that's Casey DeSantis, who by the way thinks that she's Jackie Onassis reincarnate. She like her dream and goal is to be first lady of the United States, and she's like already measuring the drapes in the White House. She is his primary consultant. So keep an eye on that situation. It that's never a good thing. When you have someone that not saying that wives can't be excellent uh, political consultants because there are a lot of sharp you know women out there. I mean, Jill Biden is very close to Joe Biden, you know, the president as as an advisor. But they also know what they don't know and have the professionals come in and do you know what they do. But Ron DeSantis doesn't have a close circle of loyalists around him. Most people who scale up their political aspirations have a a group of like a kitchen cabinet group of of advisors or staffers who've been with them for decades or years loyal because they believe in this person. DeSantis doesn't have that. So that that should tell you something right now. Um, And what he's doing in Florida, going down this culture warrior, anti-woke bullshit, you know, uh, the, the, just the bigotry between the, you know, the, the gay community and, and now with, with uh, teaching black history and banning books and, I don't think people have really looked closely at what DeSantis is doing in Florida. It is so race-based. It's race bigotry. It's uh, prejudice. It's all the things that, as a country, we were getting a, like trying to work getting away from as a more inclusive society. He he, what he wants is some kind of dystopian, um, you know, monolithic society that he's. Using a, a state like Florida, which is, you know, it's pretty diverse in in some parts of the state, and it's like a, a important state. We're not talking about Idaho here, and look at what he's doing there, with, with even on gun control. And I'm, you know, I'm a pro Second Amendment person, but what he's doing with guns and 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 trying to take away license, you know, licensing for open carry, and it's just nuts. But he's doing all of this because he thinks that that's what's going to propel him to the White House. He's catering to that grievance constituency of white um, uh, voters who are so triggered and threatened by the idea of a more diverse America. And I think that that's despicable. It's a Trump 2.0. It is, and more dangerous, more dangerous because he's not as openly um, obnoxious the way, and yeah, the way Trump is. At least DeSantis can put a sentence together, but, um, but he's... You know he's condescending, and he has the he has the charisma of a Jersey Turnpike toll taker. Um, and people will people are going to see this. The more spotlight is put on him, they're going to see this. This guy is not the answer. He is not the Trump. You know, you don't. First of all, nobody wants a Trump 2.0, right? I would hope. You know, same people. But two, he's not going to be able to handle a national stage. He's not. Trump is going to rip him to shreds because. He's got a lot of people. Trump on his campaign staff has people that worked for DeSantis, so they know DeSantis is Achilles. Yeah, heels. but here's but they here's know. the thing. Yeah, but I mean he'll have his sound bites, Donald. But you know, in debates, Donald won't even do a debate. That's the whole thing. He's not even going to do debates. He's going to say it's not worth my time. But I do want to. It's bigger ask than you. that. I'm talking about planting sure. like the hit pieces and you yeah. know stuff like that. That's oh, that's you know DeSantis. I don't know if DeSantis is ready for it. He's not. So then, in your opinion, why have Republicans, including De- you know DeSantis, why have they turned their back now on Ukraine? I mean, is it just is it just to say, 
hey, I'm in opposition to liberals, right, uh, to the Democrats? Or is there some fucked up romantic idea that they have about, like, Putin being some sort of an admirable leader? Hmm. I'm not sure. Because if you think about it, what is Trump trying to be? He's trying to be the Vladimir Putin of the United States of America. So if we could ide- um, idealize, right, or idolize Donald, right, um, or idolize Putin, in essence, we're sort of creating the yellow brick road right to the Grand Wizard to take over <laughs> Oz. I mean, that's just the way I see yeah. it. Yeah, no, the, you know, this this um, Ukraine weird position in the Republican Party now again another example of how the how far the party has fallen away from principles that I thought were unmovable for Republicans um I all I often say that Ronald Reagan is spinning in his grave listening to these Republicans and the positions they're taking on foreign policy particularly on Ukraine Ukraine is is fighting for their sovereignty like this is this is a fight for democracy, unlike we've seen in modern history in the world, in um, against an enemy who has been an enemy of the United States and an enemy of de- democracy since its existence. Uh, you know, uh, you know, in the twentieth in the century, at least twentieth century existence into twenty first century, Russia has not, with you know, has never really been a friend of the United States or of democracy around the world. And for Republicans who are so sanctimonious, <laughs> to use a word that mm-hmm. Trump learned um, that can't, he can't spell, but to be so sanctimonious now about U.S. support for Ukraine, we're not sending troops there. We're set. We're simply supporting their efforts to defend themselves, which is something that de- Republicans and Democrats could agree on before. Now, again, on Earth One in the before times. Um, that kind of politics used to end at the water's edge. Now, these guys are are using this as a, everyone's turned into the Rand and Ron Paul uh, foreign policy school of thought now, where we're isolationists, we're not getting involved. And you know what? We're going to idolize dictators or wannabe dictators like Viktor Orban and Bolsonaro and, and Putin because that's tough. That That is a reflection of accepting Trump. Yeah. And that's a very perverted that's a very perverted foreign policy. It's so anathema to what the United States stands for. We're not talking about nation building or arguing over what like Bush did in in Iraq or or Afghanistan or any of that. This is literally a fight for democracy, which the United States was supposed to be the shining city on the hill, the beacon of that. And Republicans were the leaders of that. You know, that was their mantra. And where are they now? No, they have a sick obsession with these warmongering. Authoritarians, authoritarians, because they saw how what what Trump could do, and they're like, you know what? Maybe this uh, this this isn't so bad. That to me, desensit that that like the risk of desensitizing the American people to this this debate over Ukraine as being oh a territorial dispute, like Ron DeSantis so flippantly said, that is just that is just contemptible. What do you mean a territorial dispute? No, it isn't. This is a fight for democracy on a on a global level. And why would you not be on the side of that? It's it's there there's something deeper going on yeah, here it's that also, I think is very scary stuff. It's also we as Democrats, i I hate to say it, you know, our 
our leadership at the, at the DNC, they, they just don't put out like Lincoln Project style advertisers, no. they, advertisements. <laughs> they just do not. Right. They suck, to be very honest with you. The second <laughs> that DeSanctimonious said that shit, the same time mm-hmm. that Republicans are saying that shit, yeah, you know, we're going to lean towards authoritarianism. Maybe it's not the thing. You know, as Republicans, we used to be, um, you know, uh, Freedom lovers who hated yeah, big government. Fighters. Now all of a sudden, yeah. you know, we think, well, maybe Donald could be the authoritarian that this country needs in order to get white privilege and white power back. Let me tell you something. That's the time that the DNC should have been out there with ads galore, calling them all a bunch of fucking liars and hypocrites. I sometimes I feel like I'm the only one that's out there. T- you know, trying to scream from the rooftops and I'm getting kicked in the nuts with steel-tipped boots every (laughs) single day watching as these motherfuckers just lie about me over and over and over again. And to be honest with you, a friend of mine last night who I bumped into, an old college friend, said, I don't even know how you're still standing. Truth be told, I don't know either. And it's like I'm I'm trying to fight a fight I get the thank yous, which I'm sure you do also when you're out on the street or in a restaurant, Mm -hmm. but it's it's not the thank yous that we need. We need, you know, we need support. We need help. And I can't be fighting the system. I, no matter how hard I try, the system is designed to protect itself, which is like what happened with Damian Williams. He will not Look into my case because it will show the Southern District of New York, the prosecutors, guys like Nick Roos and Tom McKay and Judge Pauly and the whole, that they're all fucking guilty of the same bullshit, which is use the office, use the power in order to get what you need to get and that they were told what to do. And so they just followed in line. But I want to ask you. Yeah, yeah, just, just really quickly on that. Like, that's why you know, taking on the system, uh, the system exists because we exist in a dem- in a democracy, right? We are the ones who determine how the system functions. What happens is when the system starts to become uh, corrupt or go off the rails or, you know, weaponized and all that, oftentimes it's because people aren't paying attention and they don't do what it takes to hold them accountable. Our system of government with checks and balances is supposed to only works if the citizens are engaged, informed, and involved. And so uh, too many people in this country check out and they live their lives. They take for granted that this system that, you know, the greatest democracy in the world is just going to be there. Democracy does not defend itself. Institutions do not defend themselves. It requires people like you and like us at the Lincoln Project and the millions of Americans who stood up and said, fuck this. We're not going to stand by and let these people take over our country and ruin our democracy and went out there and voted and volunteered or ran for office. God bless them. Um, donated money to causes that were you know, on that um, that that focused on holding these people accountable and protecting our democracy. And that's what it takes. It's not easy and it doesn't happen overnight, but it requires more people to be engaged and involved doing their part or else it's not going to work. You can't just sit back and be apathetic. I mean, you can, but there are consequences for that. There are consequences for inaction and consequences for um, apathy. And we're we're living through them as we speak now. And I think more and more people have woken up 
and are becoming more involved and active and inspired to do something about it because that's the only way things are going to change. And Lincoln Project, we <laughs> that's why we exist. Because, you know, unfortunately, God bless my Democratic friends, but you're right, it's just not in the Democrats' DNA. They're just not fighters like that. And so, and plus, we've been on the other side, so we know the Republican playbook. And that's why we were out right away going after Ron DeSantis over the territorial uh, uh, dispute remarks. And we were out there right away defending uh, Biden on the, the things that he had done well. Um, we're out there right away calling out Fox News for lying and duping their their viewers and saying, <laughs> here it is right here, because Fox News is insulating their viewers from it. They won't talk about it on the air. So guess what? We'll send it out there and geofence the areas and make sure those people get it on their digital ads. Like that kind of strategy has to be a holistic approach to this um, because there's it, there's so many <laughs> so, from so many angles. But the focus is educating people, inspiring them and empowering them to do their part because it's the only way things change. Yeah. So let me ask you this then. What the hell is going on between Kevin McCarthy and Marjorie Taylor Greene? I mean, <laughs> I mean, she hasn't just become the face of the party. She's become Kevin's special lady in the house. I, I, I don't understand this. And from the looks of it, right, she's setting the tone and maybe even running the show over there. Explain I, this. I mean, it makes my stomach turn. She, she just, I just have a physical, visceral reaction to her every single time I see her, she opens her mouth. I can't. And and the fact that trash, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, would rise through the ranks, bad enough she got elected, but whatever. Um, but then to rise through the ranks of the Republican Party to become the person that's steering the ship, she, you're right, she is setting the tone. You're right. Kevin McCarthy made a conscious decision to embrace her last year because purely for political, cynical reasons, he saw her as someone he needed in order to corral the MAGA Freedom Caucus Trumpy people to get the Speaker of the House. So he sold out everything else as usual, which he's very good at doing, sold out all of, you know, his principles, the party, decency, any of that to welcome her in. Because he needs her people. And it is just like she, her and Bobert and, you know, the rest of them, but, but particularly Marjorie Taylor, Marjorie Taylor Greene, because she's such an arrogant bitch and ignorant and in your face and so wrong. And she's a lunatic. She's a fucking QAnon conspiracy theorist lunatic is to think that this woman could ever stand up at the dais and on the house floor with the speaker's gavel running the running the operations of that of the floor in the people's like a, house like a, in the people's house i man, it, oh, it man. is unconscionable and kevin mccarthy has just add this to the heap of transgressions that this motherfucker has engaged in that has gotten us to where we are now how dare he elevate someone like that and disgrace the office. I just, it's, it is hard to explain except for the pure political partisan decision that he needs her and her people and what they represent, which is the most extreme lunatic kook caucus part of the Republican base. He needs her and those people to remain in power. The end. That's all this is about. It's a yeah. pure power play. So Tara, 
As I always say, the hour goes by quickly. I have one <laughs> last question. It's a personal sure. question, right? Because you've got this excellent podcast. You're on television all the time. You're working with the Lincoln Project. You're putting out these great, phenomenal ads that really spells reality, despite there's a whole slew of Americans that just will ignore it no matter what. But with your perspective change, you know, your career must have changed also. What are you currently passionate about? And what are you currently trying to accomplish with your activism? Hmm. You know, that is a, there's a book in there somewhere about that, sure. could that career change <laughs> uh, and what's happened over the, the, the decades of my Republican involvement to being a, um, a democracy advocate and, and a, a staunch opponent of Trumpism and the malignancy of Trumpism that I, that I feel needs to be um, combated. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm just really passionate about keeping, keeping people engaged in a way that makes a difference. That was always my motivation for getting into politics anyway. You know, a lot of people get into politics for different reasons, but for me, it was always to use my God-given gifts for good. And I thought that would be through politics and helping to shape the, the laws and, and, and the things that, that impact people's lives in the greatest country in the world. And how can we make that better? Like literally the pursuit of, of, of happiness and how do we kind of create access to more people so that they have that ability to do it in, in this country? Cause I, you know, I love America. But looking at what's happened over the you know the era of Trump, like I never thought that I would be fighting this fight and and this fight to keep our democracy from falling into the hands of authoritarians within our own country, and it's 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 um, it's mind blowing. And I sometimes I just you know like sometimes I cannot believe that this is the existential fight. Like we are literally in a cold civil war in this country, and. I'm passionate about making sure that that cold civil war never turns hot and recruiting and empowering and educating and informing more people to feel that fighting for this country and fighting for what, what we stand for and fighting for our democracy is worth it and that we can beat this back. Because if we don't, and this authoritarian creep that is, that is on a march, in my opinion, with the Republicans and Trumpism and all of that, if that's not beaten back, we will never be able to recover our democracy. That'll be it. So that's what I'm passionate about. And, and you know, I don't know how long that fight continues, but I'm in it for the long haul and whatever it takes. And um, hopefully more and more people will, will, will jump on board and, and be a part of that because uh, you got to fight for freedom and have fun in the, in, in the process. And um, that's what I'm here. That's what I'm here to do. I wish I could say I was having fun in this fight, but I'm with you, and I <laughs> thank you. It's not always easy. I get it. I yeah. get it, Michael. Look, listen, yeah. what does the Bible say? Laughter does good like medicine. So you have to be able to find the good in it. It's, it can't be doom and gloom all the time. There is hope. There is there is still good in the world, and um, I think people need to not take those things for granted and 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 embrace them as well as we as we do this. So, well, so I thank I, you I, for I joining you, me friend. as always, Tara. Always good to see you. <laughs> Keep up the good fight, thank you, because um, yeah, democracy is worth it. Amen, my friend. You I too. Will, I'll see you soon. And now for today's mea culpa. 
The United States House of Representatives have just passed the Parents' Bill of Rights last week. If a Parents' Bill of Rights sounds creepy to you, you're on to something. Because it is creepy. It's very fucking creepy. It's the first and probably not the last national bill that targets transgender youth. It contains provisions that forcibly out trans and gay kids to their parents and forces teachers to misgender them. It is not expected to pass in Congress, but what the actual fucker Republicans on the Hill doing to make the lives of average Americans better? And the answer is nothing. Fucking nothing. This bill has nothing to do with parents making life better for their kids and everything to do with the discrimination of our most vulnerable youth. The protection of children in red states is being systematically eroded because Republicans are terrified that the next generation will hate their policies and vote them out of power. Lauren Boebert, obviously not an expert on education, says that she wants to abolish the Department of Education and end federal funding for public schools. Really, you fucking moron? And do what instead? Does she want to educate our kids? I mean, can you fucking imagine? Bober would teach your kids how to shoot a gun, drink like a fish, and hate their next-door neighbors. I mean, good times, right? Well, in Florida, where history and gender affirmation go to die, Ron DeSantis is now saying periods are off-limits, too. He is telling teachers not to talk about menstruation in school until the sixth grade. Never mind that most girls start their periods in fourth or fifth grade. I mean, humiliation is what Ron is after. Teachers are now prohibited from talking about the basic functions of the human body until high school. So FYI, by the 12th grade, half of Florida students have already had sex. But this new law doubles down on something called abstinence education that all but ends any discussion of contraception or how to prevent sexually transmitted diseases. And I quote, Teachers must teach the benefits of monogamous heterosexual marriage. I mean, that statement alone makes me sick. It makes me fucking sick to my core. It says, hey kids, if you're not a white, heterosexual Christian, Florida's gonna fuck you up. We're gonna clear the books off of library shelves that might help you understand who and what you are. And, of course, replace them with propaganda. Or, better than that, the Bible. Or, nothing. Why? Because reading. I mean, who cares? In Utah, a law passed in 2022 to keep inappropriate and pornographic material out of schools banned 81 titles. But this week, a brilliant parent is asking that one more book be added to that list. The Holy Bible. Yeah, could you believe this shit? That's right, that the Bible is full of fornication and wife swapping. So ban it in Utah. This brave parent reminds us all that we can fight back by using their own flawed logic against them. And back in Florida, where regressive Ron is trying to keep gay out of everyone's mouth, Disneyland Orlando has countered with this fabulous announcement, and I quote, Gay days, beach ball, the ultimate party is back and better than ever. Gay days, beach ball is expected to be one of the biggest gay events of the year. And kids, there's no better way to own Ron DeSantis than to let your rainbow flag fly.
And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Minus Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.